Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Eastridge Church South Campus Podcast, where we bring the message portion of our Sunday services in a convenient podcast form. Today, we're continuing our Aftershock series, and it's part two of a three-part series. So if you haven't uh, listened to part one, make sure you check that out. Aftershock's series is really all about making us aware, giving us tools to overcome these aftershocks, these things that creep up in our life as a result of a traumatic event. Um, There are things that we go through in life and we think that, hey, I made it through, I'm good, but we don't realize that that these things have, you know, reared their head. Um, Do people say that, reared reared their head? Anyways, you know what I mean. All right, well, I won't hold you up any longer. Let's dive in to part two of Aftershocks. Well, good morning, Eastridge family. Have you had a good day so far? So I am honored to be here today. So let me just give you a few little details about me. Uh, one of the things that I struggle with is OCD. So I'm going to make sure that this is just perfectly in the, and then this is like that. And so I'm good. All right. Another thing is several years ago, I went through menopause. And in menopause, I discovered what menopause brain is. And it is not good, especially for someone who speaks or teaches or, you know, talks just in general, um, because you can't find your words, you say the wrong words, you don't complete your sentences, and so as much as women struggle with it, so do their spouses, because it's just like a whole nother world. Well, back in um, July, I had COVID, and since then, the after effects, (laughs) the aftershocks of COVID is there's this thing called brain fog, COVID brain fog. You had brain fog and lack of concentration and all of the stuff after COVID to menopause brain, okay? And so I'm like, but God, my job is to, like, I teach and I speak and I, you know, share and, um, and yet I can't complete a sentence and I'm going to lose my train of thought and I'm going to not make sense. So... Anything that you don't understand, it's not you, okay? It's me. I'm totally owning all. It is me. But, and you may very likely be interactive because I can't figure out the word. And so you're going to help me out. Or if I don't finish the sentence, I'll probably go, something like that. Okay. So now that you know that, are you ready? Yeah. All right. So um, what we experienced this morning is something that we get to do every Thursday night. Um, yeah, amazing praise and worship, and we do a fun countdown and an amazing prelude, and you never know what to expect. And a lot of times we do that because people walk through the doors of recovery ministry with an aftershock, a trauma, typically, that has happened, and they walk through thinking, because they've heard something about Celebrate Recovery, somebody's told them to go to Celebrate Recovery, and so maybe... I can have some hope. Maybe I'll, you know, figure out what I need to do and, you know, all those kinds of things. So they walk through the doors of Celebrate Recovery scared to death. How many of you were a newcomer at Celebrate Recovery? Lots of peeps here scared to death to walk through the door. So we do a lot of things very intentionally to lighten it up and we're going to have a good time because it is Celebrate Recovery, okay? So that's a little bit of that. But for the sermon today, the second week of Aftershocks, 
And it's just the effect of a distressing or traumatic event. That's an aftershock. The effect or the result of or the reciprocation, that R word, what? Reciprocation, yeah, whatever, of an event. It's the after event, after event or the consequence of an action. So I don't know of anybody who's never gone through some sort of traumatic event. Like, like if you breathe, <laughs> if you've been in the world, even birth, that's traumatic, right? For the mom and for the baby. But in all seriousness, an aftershock, a traumatic event, Molestation, rape, the affair, divorce, cancer, the pandemic, losing your job, losing your life, using, losing your loved ones. All through our life, we experience traumatic events. So I'm 50-something, and... 49 years ago, next month, was my first traumatic event. I'm eight. My brother is 13 months younger than me. We were waiting for the school bus one morning. We went to Herd Mixon. Herd Mixon. And I saw him hit and killed by a car. October 22nd, 49 years ago, was a day that changed my life. It changed our family's life. And we were so poor, we had just moved to Covington, we were so poor, then they brought the casket back into our home. There are things that we endure that we can't get out of our head. We can't let go of. We relive and we relive and we relive. And they're traumatic events that have aftershocks. And the aftershocks can be days, months, years after we have endured. And those aftershocks, every time there's another wave of guilt or anger or resentment or grief. We can cope lots of different ways. But I have hope to share with you today. It does not matter what the trauma is. There is hope. There is hope. His name is Jesus Christ. Hope discovers brand new beginnings when we can't breathe because we hurt so bad. Jesus Christ is a brand new beginning. We don't have to drown in or numb the aftershocks of our life. We don't have to. Our part, earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him, and he has the power to help me recover. We have a choice here. A choice to believe, a choice to receive, and a choice to let go. Those are our choices. I didn't have a choice. 
about what happened on that day 49 years ago. We don't have choices about the hurt or the things that happened. To us. We don't have those choices a lot of times, but we have a choice on what we can do next. Earnestly believe. Wholeheartedly, soul and mind, earnestly believe that God matters. I mean, that God exists. God does matter, but God exists. Now, the um, Gallup's polls for 50 plus years have said 97% of Americans believe in God. Even scientists, they believe in God. They don't believe that this just kind of happened, right? Not that 97% of them believe in God. They just believe that God exists. Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, John 1, 1, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was God and the Word, and the word was God. The Word was with God and the Word was, was God. Easy for you to say, right? God has always existed. All through Scripture, there is hundreds and thousands of Scripture that talks about God's existence. So, for the most part, we can believe that God exists. But here's the part that we mess up on. That it's, it's not so easy to believe is that I matter to him. I could not believe that because you know what I did? After eight, when I was eight, I was raped at 15. All these things that happened to me, then I made choices that made it all worse. Addiction was a part of my life. Like, I couldn't run away from myself fast enough. I couldn't drown out the pain fast enough. So, even though I believe that God existed, and I did with all my heart, I believe every word of God's, God's word is true. Like, I, I believe that an axe head floated in the water. I believe that a donkey talked. I believed, I believed all and everything that God's word. I believe that he sent his son to die on the cross, to die for my sins, and raise again so that I could have eternal life forever. Like, I believe all that. I just couldn't believe that it was true for me. Like, I, I didn't know how to accept his word for me that he loved me. I didn't know. I couldn't believe that. Not after all that I had done. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you're like me and that for me, because of the church that I grew up in a little bit and as a teenager... God, this is God. He was waiting. He, he, he was like this. <clears throat> like he's just waiting for the next thing for me to do wrong. And he's going to bang me over the head. Like I, like I was, that's, that, that was God to me. Maybe a lot of people compare God to their earthly father or parents. Based on how they act or react or don't. <laughs> Neglect or not trustworthy, neither is our God. Maybe we grew up in a church where because of the Christian life that we're going to learn who God is and believe that God is so in his characteristics based on how a Christian is, how they live. I might not want to be in love with that God. Does that make sense? We decide who God is based on our earthly experiences. We, whether or not he cares about us, whether or not he protects us, whether or not he loves us. 
because of the abuse that we endured, they cheated on us, the, all the things that I've prayed for this to happen in my life and it hasn't, so he must not care about me. Like we have these misconceptions, but none of these things are true. None of these things are true. We need to learn who God really is and who he is not, and we need to understand his true character. And the only way we can do that is to read God's word. How can we not love someone or care about someone or know anything about them without reading his word? Of course we can't understand him if we don't learn about him. What's the first thing you do whenever you date? You get to know everything about the other person, right? And you don't stop learning about them, right? So we've got to fall in love with Jesus and what is true about him. And let me tell you about my God. The God that I know, that I believe in, earnestly believe in. He is gracious and patient and faithful and powerful. He is never changing. He is all-knowing and sovereign. He is all of those things. He is full of perfect wisdom. Why would I lean on my own understanding? God is full of perfect wisdom. He is merciful and compassionate. He is kind and he is good. Even when life is not good, even when we endure traumatic events and things in our life, God is still good. I may not understand, but I can choose to believe that God is still good. He forgives me. Every single time I ask for his forgiveness, he forgives me. Now, for the affairs and all of the stuff that was in my life before, and I come back to him and it's because Satan... You know, on that day, he's like, who do you think you, like this morning, he's like, who do you think you are? You know, so here I am asking a prayer of forgiveness again for something that I asked for the last 20 times. And you know what God does? He's like, Renee, you didn't have an affair. You know why? Because he's already forgiven me of it. And you know what he did with that sin? Once he forgave me of it, he threw it away from as far as the east is to the west. He, does, he has no regulation of that sin that I know I've already confessed, repented of, and he has forgiven me of. That's my God. He is big. He is big. He cares. He cares deeply about me. My husband, we've been married for almost 36 years, which is a miracle in itself. But I know that he worships the ground that I walk on. And I, I, don't, I don't say that, I mean, I just know we have that kind of relationship. I know that he loves me. But God's love for me is 20 billion crazy more than how my husband loves me. He cares that I struggle. God cares that I struggle with anxiety and depression. He cares that I struggle and my heart breaks for others whose heart breaks. The things that are going on. In your, that's why the Lord has called us to a ministry like Celebrate Recovery. He's used our experiences to prove that there's a lost and dying world out there and there's hope for them. Like I, I so care about people's hurts, habits, and hang-ups is what we call about them. And a lot of times I want you to overcome them more than you want to for yourself. My heart hurts for you. And he cares. That's how he has wired me. 
It breaks, my heart breaks for the injustices of this world. God knows me. He knows my situation, my circumstances, my temptations, my struggles. He knows me and he loves me dearly. And here's the deal. He loves you too. He knows you better than you know yourself. His compassion for you is unmeasurable. Like you can't even, I, sometimes I can't even fathom because I know the old Renee. How could he? How could he? But he does. He loves us unconditional, not based on our performance, but based on his characteristics. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While I was still drowning out and numbing out and trying to escape the pain to rescue the uh, get past the traumatic events, whatever that word is, in my life. God wants us to overcome them more than we want to ourselves. He does. He wants us to overcome them. When I say the word celebrate recovery, what, what's the first thing you think of? Woohoo! <laughs> well, except for that girl. <laughs> her first night there, that wasn't her response. She's experienced a God that I know. What's the first thing you think of when I say celebrate recovery? Drugs and alcohol. Drugs and alcohol. Always. So it's like, I can't go to some drugs and alcohol because I don't, I can't go to drugs and alcohol because I don't celebrate recovery. <laughs> but you know what I mean, right? Okay. Do you know that less than one third of anybody who walks through the doors on Thursday night struggle with drugs and alcohol? So there's about 110, 130 people that attend open share small recovery small groups on Thursday night. And only 20 25 of them go into the chemically dependent groups. We have support and like this relationships and relatable experience with people from all walks of life, from homeless to six-digit figures, from grief and anger and sexual addiction. So I should probably put them in there. And matter of fact, while I'm thinking about them, just kind of this, do you know one in 10 I mean, 10, um, suicide is a tense leading cause of death in the U.S. Suicide is. And do you know what they all have in common is some sort of mental health issue. You, we may know it or we may not. That's a tense leading. So depression and anxiety. <laughs> um, sexual addiction. I, I could say in this room, like I debated, it's like, oh, okay. So that's now that you've seen my head. Um, I would say that probably, like, not you back there, but everybody else could benefit from the ministry of Celebrate Recovery. Like, honestly, 99% of, like, if you have a pulse, you could use the benefit of support and just learning how to overcome. And last week, this week, and next week, that's really what Celebrate Recovery is all about. It's Jesus' words, the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, and he said, just do this and you'll be happy. But the thing is, we don't understand what this is. And so we walk through and kind of teach how to apply God's Word to our life in a whole different way. Recover, recovery. Like, why don't we get so scared about that word? Here's the definition of it. To recover means to return to a normal state of health, mind, and strength. Have you ever been in a place in your life where, like, your cheese just fell off your cracker? <laughs> like... <laughs> 
okay. And sometimes we don't even know why we're not okay. Well, this, this, we might need to recover. It's like, oh, I need to pick up my cheese. <laughs> Somebody, so I'm just having to do it, right? To be well again. There are seasons in our life where we're just not well. Like mentally, spiritually, physically, emotionally, we're not well. To find a regain possession of something stolen or lost. To recover it for the person that has been abused. Childhood, marriage, you have lost something. An innocence, your identity, it has been robbed from you. There's a time to recover to gain possession of it again. And we find that new identity in Jesus Christ, not by, by what has happened to us, but Him. Amen. To regain control of oneself, our physical or mental state. That's what we, we celebrate. We celebrate. We like, we have fun preludes. We hoop and holler. We, we're just real. We're not okay, but we're looking to the one to figure out how to be okay again. That's, that's really all it is. So why are we so scared of the word recovery? After a catastrophe, a rape, a fire, a divorce, we must take time to recover what's been destroyed because a divorce destroys the family. If you were in an accident and you had to have emergency surgery or if you just had surgery, planned surgery, you would just get off the operation table, right? Okay, I'm good. Thank you. My gallbladder's gone. I'm all good. You know, I had gallbladder surgery. I had it, take, had it taken out. And whenever I opened up my eyes, I knew that demon organ was gone. <laughs> but I was not ready to get off the table. <laughs> there's a healing process. There's, there's a time for resources and tools and a season of recovery. I might have to get a prescription. I might need counseling. When there are traumatic events in our life, we need those things to recover. We can't just go through a divorce and, okay, I'm fine. My kids are good. You can't lose a child or a brother or a sister and say, okay, life goes back as normal. I'm good. There's a season of recovery. And maybe it's been 10 years or 49 years since you've been through something so traumatic that changed everything. And then one day, you are good, but that one day, you're not good. You are not good. And you know whenever I was joking about your cheese fell off your cracker? <laughs> That's what happened to me. Because I stuffed it. The anger, everything, I stuffed it until I wasn't good. It all exploded. Many times throughout our lives, we experience things that we just need a specific time to recover, to overcome. And with that comes a time where God grows us and changes us into the person that he originally had in mind for us. I'm going to invite my friend Deborah to come up. Give her a warm welcome. Hey, family. My name is Deborah. I'm a grateful believer and a recovering alcoholic who struggles with codependency. Hey, Deborah. Hey. 
I was raised in a two-parent home, the youngest of three children. While I, while I was in my 30s before I started drinking, it was in my very early years that I learned to wear my mask, to people please, to fix others, and to confuse my responsibility with what doesn't belong to me. I was mostly a social drinker for years, and I had it under control until one day when I didn't. When I realized I wanted to quit and I couldn't, I'd been drinking for over 20 years. I was like Paul in Romans. I kept doing what I didn't want to do, and I wasn't able to do what I wanted to do. I hated myself, and I was stuck in a cycle of self-destruction. My bottom came during Thanksgiving of 2011. It followed a huge family argument. I learned in a matter of hours that the family relationships I held so dear were not nearly as important to others as they were to me. What I thought they felt for me, what I thought I meant to them, and what I expected from those relationships was built on lies and unrealistic expectations. My heart was shattered. After a long weekend of oblivion, I knew I wasn't the person I wanted to be. I was desperate for change. I didn't just want sobriety. I wanted recovery, the real deal. Someone had told me years earlier about Celebrate Recovery, and I finally made it to CR on January the 17th of 2012. I had been sober for less than 48 hours. I will never forget that first night. I didn't know a soul. I was terrified. I was afraid this wouldn't work either. But I was at the end of my rope, and I was ready to do whatever it took to stop the pain. Have I mentioned I was desperate? That night I heard a testimony, and when she talked about being a closet alcoholic who was active in her church, I had real hope. She was somebody like me. She was functional, nobody knew, and she was a leader in her church. But best of all, she found recovery. I still wonder how many there are more like me, regardless of their hurts, habits, or hangups, sitting in the pews or committee meetings, wearing their mask and living a lie, and too ashamed to tell anyone. You see, I knew Jesus was the answer, but I didn't understand my part in the process. As it states in principle two, I had to believe that I mattered to God and that he had the power to help me recover. I'm so grateful to CR for giving me the tools I need not only for sobriety, but to live the Christian life. I left that night with the hope that I could do this, I could see the evidence of it working in the people around me. Praise God. In January, I will have 10 years clean and sober. I'm telling you, yeah. My original goal was to find sobriety, but I have found something even better, recovery. It's been within the last year or so that I've made real progress in my codependency, seeing my loved ones as they really are, and realizing that restored relationships may not be possible even when forgiveness takes place. Only God can change hearts, both mine and theirs. I've been praying this year for God to move mountains in my family. I'll have to admit that sometimes it feels like those mountains are falling on me and I'm being crushed and shattered. But other times it feels like I'm soaring over them like an eagle. But no matter how I'm feeling, God's working. The majority of my relationships were in a shambles when I started recovery. I'd like to be able to say the Lord restored them all, but that's simply not true. 
He has restored and is continuing to restore my relationship with my hubby. He's the one I still want to do life with. With my son, who knew we could really have an open and honest relationship? And with my mom, I truly no longer have resentments or animosity toward her. God really has changed my heart. My relationships with my siblings, well, they're still a work in progress. However, God's moving mountains there too, even when I don't see it. But best of all, my relationship with God has improved dramatically. All I learned over those years, it finally makes sense, and I can visualize what it's supposed to look like in my day-to-day life. You know, when Jesus talks about the abundant life, it really is possible. Sometimes it's abundant with blessings, and other times it's abundant with opportunities. But otherwise, uh, either way, it's a much better life than I ever dreamed possible. Are my relationships perfect? Not by a long shot. But I do have a realness and a vulnerability I was incapable of before. I'm much kinder and gentler to others and even to myself. And I'm even doing better at setting and respecting boundaries. And that's really huge for me. So what encouragement do I have for you? With Jesus and others to walk with you, change is possible. No matter what your hurts, your hang-ups, or habits are. Is it hard work? Absolutely. Is it worth it? It's the treasure that's worth more than anything in this world. Thank you for letting me share. Sometimes God changes us. Sometimes he changes our situation. Sometimes he changes both. But the question is, will we let him? Will we let him? Because honestly, most of the time, we want to control it all. We'll pray. He'll answer the prayer, and it's like, mm, I don't like that answer. Let me just keep doing it my way. That's what we do. That's what I did for years. Guess what? Nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to change. Will we let him, in his sovereignty, because he sees the big picture, have control, full control over our will, over our life? If God can raise Jesus from the dead, he can certainly restore relationships. He can certainly do anything that we ask if it is his will. Romans 11:36. everything comes from God alone. Everything lives by his power. We can believe He will help us, but are we really plugged in to his power? His power. Not my own power. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, God the Holy Spirit, three in one, wants to empower us to overcome any and everything. Everything. But will we do our part? Will we do our part? Will we let them do what they want to do in our lives. Do we believe? Will we receive? Will we let him lead and guide us? Will we let him close the doors and open the doors? Because typically, a lot of times, whenever he's closing that door, uh, can't close that door, God. I like that door open. That's what we do. And then we remain angry at him because life isn't turning out the way that we want it to. We have to be open to change. Open to the miracles of Jesus Christ. Because if we're not, nothing's going to change. 
the anger, the hate, the resentment, everything that we've got bottled up is going to explode. We are, and then we hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. Look, it's scary. I know it's scary. I found my identity in my anger at God. I found my identity in fill in the blank. It's scary to do something different. One of my favorite scriptures is in Isaiah 43. Do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned up. The flames will not set you ablaze. And when you walk through the doors of CR on Thursday night, lightning will not strike you death. For I am the Lord your God. These are promises. Toss aside the fear. It's nothing to be. It's scarier. See that I didn't finish my sentence. It's nothing to be scared of. It's scarier to stay there. It's scarier to stay in the anger and the bitterness. It's scarier to live in the closet and watch your porn and have your affair. And it's scarier to stay there. Last week we stepped out of denial, or did we? We admitted that I am powerless over my compulsions, the tendency to do the wrong thing. We admitted that my life is unmanageable. That's the first step. We got to be there. And it can take years to finally do it. But what if you don't? Last week I admitted that I'm powerless and I need help. This week, there is a power greater than me. He has the power that we need to overcome. There is hope. Earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him, and he has the power to help me recover. Do you know what this beatitude is? Blessed for those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed, happy, holy, favored, blessed. I want that. Blessed are those who mourn. This mourn isn't grief like over a lost loved one. It's not the grief, the mourning that we think of. This mourning is, I am truly agonizing over the state of my life and the sin that I'm in. Mourning how I have betrayed God and the people that love me and that I love. Mourning the condition of me. Mourning. True conviction, repentant, willing to change and do whatever it takes to overcome the trauma in our life and the way that we feel and the way that we are so that we can be comforted. That's God's promise so that we can experience comfort. Comfort is just pardoned at peace, purified and free. When we find ourselves completely broken, truly grieving the place that we're in, we find freedom. And there is so much hope in that completely broken. God's promise to be forgiven and restored. Not to the old Renee. She was not 
good. But the new Renee, and me, I'm still not good. But I am loved by the high, true king. And he has a purpose in my life. And it's the same for you. We can find peace and reassurance and serenity and hope. How? Because God changes everything. But we have a choice. We have to admit that we need help. We have to believe it. We have to receive it so that we can move forward. Look, if you don't believe in the God, like trust in the God that I've shared with you today, what are you waiting on? If you do believe in God, but you're not trusting him with your life, your will, your choices to let go, to help you, what are you waiting on? Are you really going to let another two years, 20 years move by? We've waited till the end of this service to take communion because springboarding off this principle is like this time of mourning. It is an invitation. It is an invitation to do something, to remember, to believe, to surrender the Last Supper. Jesus sat with his friends that night, the eve of him dying for them, for all past, all future, for each and every one of us. But he sat with his friends that night, knowing who would deny him, who would betray him. He knew. These are the people that he loved, and he knew that they would fail him. And he did it anyway. He did it anyway. That was me. For so long, that was me. I sat at his table. I went to church. I served. And I hid and I drowned. For years, I was angry at God for taking my brother away. And I ran from him. I ran from his presence. I ran from his answers. I ran from his will. I, the aftershocks of seeing my brother killed... I ran from God. I blamed him for that. Until the day that I found myself sitting at Jesus' table in complete surrender, complete confession, admitting to him the anger that I had for him as if he didn't know. But that's what he needed from me. And you know what I received? Not the hammer, not the sledgehammer that I was expecting. Because that's the guy that I was raised getting to know. I received compassion and forgiveness and redemption and freedom and hope. And the promise that he can do in me so much more than I've chosen to do for myself. Finally letting go of my will and my ways. When we get there, everything changes. So have you sat at this table like that on Sunday morning? Maybe you got up and... Or maybe you left the hotel with another... Because I guarantee you, every Sunday morning, every Thursday night, every day people are doing that, Christians. And yet we come in here and we take communion. So my challenge to you today is, are you willing to mourn where you're at and choose to eat at Jesus' table 
and to take the life, his life so freely given to us. Brand new beginning. A brand new beginning of overcoming. So we're going to reflect a few minutes. Look, Gary's here, Cameron, me. While the video's going, like if you... If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we will be glad, like right now during our communion time, to say that prayer with you. Or maybe this is the day where you're going to rededicate, recommit, let go, and say, God, I'm sorry. We can do that now. Jesus sat with his friends that night knowing who would betray him. If you're a believer today, choose today to stop betraying his love and his gift for you. Repent, remember what he did, the amazing sacrifice that he made for us so that we could overcome. Not be trapped in, but overcome. We get to remember that amazing gift. Jesus his body was broken, shredded to pieces for you, for me. And what an amazing gift that is. And we've been asked to take this bread and remember him. And his blood poured out. What a beautiful sight. What a beautiful, horrible sight it must have been. Because I can see him. And he willingly did that for me, knowing who I was going to be. So that I could experience the freedom that I have today. And that's what he wants for you, too. So drink and remember. God, I thank you for sending your son. You so freely gave us your most prized son so that we can overcome. So that we don't have to be trapped in the anger and the strongholds or the resentments or the fears or the shame or the guilt. We get to have a brand new life in you. Thank you for that. Thank you for giving me second chances. Thank you for turning our messes into your messages of hope so that a lost and dying world can know you, can know the God that I know now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Pray that you know the God that I know. Every week after CR at the end, at the 7 o'clock hour, we say the serenity prayer together. And it is um, a beloved prayer. It is a, like I pray bits of it all, every day to get through a day. It's a prayer that we've embraced and we are going to stand together to, today. I was about to say tonight. And... Um, Say this renewed prayer together. And 
You can Google the full. How many of you knew that there's a, like more than that first little paragraph? Very few people knew. Google it. Print it out. I have it available for you. I'm going to say this for your prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever and in the next. Amen, amen. So let me tell you, today, men, so sometimes you hear about step studies, right? It is a CR thing. It is a commitment to do something different for your future. Today, men, on the East Campus at 2 o'clock, Johnny and Chris are the two leaders. Look, if you can identify with any of the struggles, the anger, anything today, and you're like, okay, okay, I need to do something. That, that may be your answer. It starts today. Tuesday, same thing for women, East Campus. Um, Beth, she was right here. She was singing. This is our, like, the majority. Like, we get to do this worship every Thursday night. But Beth uh, Beth is one of the leaders for the ladies at the East Campus, 7 o'clock. Ladies, if you're sick and tired of being sick and tired and you're ready to start doing something different, do a step study. Come back next week. It's great to see you today. Have a great day. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. We hope that this message is beneficial to you in some way. And if it was, we would love to hear about it. You can fill out a connect card at eastridge.church slash connect card. It really is the best way for you to get connected with us here at Eastridge. If there's something that you're struggling with and you want to talk to someone, if you need prayer or you just want to find out more about Eastridge, the Connect card is a great place to start. In this Aftershock series, you've heard a lot about Celebrate Recovery, and that's a ministry we have here at Eastridge. If there's something that you've been struggling with that's keeping you from being who God's created you to be, Celebrate Recovery may be a great ministry for you. And if you're not in the Newton County, Georgia area, why don't you go ahead and reach out to us anyway? And we can help you find a Celebrate Recovery ministry near you. Just want to remind you that Aftershocks is a three-part series. This was part two. Make sure you go back and check out the previous message as well. And if these are beneficial to you, they might be beneficial to someone else. So feel free to share these. Remember to come back next week as we wrap up the Aftershock series. All right. See you later.